Matthew chapter 26. We've been for many weeks now looking at different scenes or different perspectives from the cross. Different people who offered a perspective, who offered a look at their involvement in that day. We've looked at Simon of Cyrene. We've looked at the Roman centurion. And we have looked at Joseph of Arimathea. Today we look at probably what is known as, in the Bible, one of the most universally known by both Christians and non-Christians alike. We will look at Peter's denial of Jesus as we talk about moving beyond failure at the cross. We begin in Matthew chapter 26. I'll start reading in verse number 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all his disciples. This scene takes place as Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover meal. He speaks truth into their lives. And as is so often the case with many Christians, as God is speaking truth into our lives, we argue. He lets them know that trial is coming and that this trial is not one in which they're going to do well. Peter steps up and first declares, but Lord, no matter what happens, you can count on me. Then Jesus gives Peter a placeholder to be able to recall what's going to happen, that before the rooster crows, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And all the disciples declare the same thing, that they'll never leave him no matter what happens. Then what happens in the story is that Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. Peter, James, and John are taken further. Jesus prays intensely. His disciples sleep soundly. Jesus is arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin in the garden and in a mock trial void of any adherence to Jewish custom or law. He is found guilty. And then he is brought to Pilate. As he's being taken from where they had been with the Sanhedrin to Pilate, on that way we have the scene everyone knows. Gospel of Mark chapter 14. And I'll begin reading in verse number 66. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I, never, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. 
And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him, and again he be, and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. And a second time, the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Peter was certain that Jesus was on the road or on the way or in the path that was going to lead to his death and feared in all human expectation that he would come next. Now, it's real easy for us from this perspective 2,000 years later to come, on, to, to come down hard on Peter. Any one of us could have as easily failed the Lord in the same situation because the truth is we fail him too doesn't require some special or exceptionally weak character or weak ability to be able to not measure up or be there when we need to be there. Peter was present at the cross. And he failed. However, I believe that you and I can learn something, can learn something deep about our own walk with the Lord from Peter and how he moved forward. Because that's not the last thing we hear about Peter. That's not the end of Peter's story. And we all need to realize that no matter what the mistake, no matter what the failure, failure will never be the end of your story when Jesus walks with you. Peter was at the cross. But we can learn from him. First, let's put Peter's life into some context. He was one of the leading disciples with the Lord. He joined the disciples after being brought to the Lord by his brother, Andrew. He gave up his family business of fishing, although we see in many different places that he wasn't actually really good at it because he kept not catching a lot of fish. But the Lord came to him and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He was part of an inner circle because we see him going further into the garden with Peter, James, and John. And we also see, Jesus, uh, see Peter present at the transfiguration of Jesus. He was an eyewitness to most of Jesus' miracles. And for three years, he received personal teaching and personal instruction from the Lord. All of us do all that we can to grow in our Christian walk to a place where we think we're beyond certain things or beyond certain temptations. And then when something happens that proves over and over again what all of us should always remember is that we're human and that we have a flesh, we come to this place where we think we've grown beyond certain things. Peter's life should give us some understanding that I'm going to need Jesus today like I did the first day I met him. I'm never going to grow beyond the need for his daily power and daily understanding. Peter was not always a failure. He had things in his life, specifically in his walk with the Lord, that he could point to that were pretty good. 
It was Peter earlier in Matthew who said, when the Lord was asking, who do men say that I am? And then turning to his disciples and saying, but who do you say that I am? It was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus then, command, uh, Jesus then commends him that flesh and blood didn't teach you this, that you didn't read this in some book. But his father in heaven was the one who revealed it. So, Peter, so Jesus is letting Peter know that you have this, you had this connection with your father, your heavenly father in heaven that allowed you to understand this. That's a good thing. One thing is clear. Peter was someone who was never at a loss for words. Now, all of us know people who aren't at a loss for words. All of us tend to sometimes be people who aren't at a loss for words. And sometimes, like Peter, the words come out before they're filtered through what's in our heads. But when facing the scrutiny of the crowd, when facing the temptation or, or the issue of what could happen to Jesus and having the same thing happen to him, Peter not only denied the Lord, but he denied the Lord rather violently. Now, most of us can identify with Peter. We've not been all that we should be. We've not always witnessed as we should have. We've not always declared what we should have declared. We understand that there is not just disappointment when those moments happen, but there can be pain. We saw it in Peter. So what can we learn from this man's moment that didn't go exactly as he thought it would? First, I think we all understand that failure, especially within our walk with the Lord, can bring us to a place or a sense of shame. Especially when it's found in someone who we think that we should know better. You would think if anyone was going to come to Jesus' defense, it would have been Peter. He was one of those closest to the Lord. He had been there through the whole way, and he made this tremendous proclamation not that long before this moment. Now, one issue I think that Peter faced, which all of us face so often in our own Christian walks, is that he misunderstood or misjudged the enemy. Now, I firmly believe the enemy is a roaring lion, but he's a toothless lion. Because Jesus has conquered sin, death, and the grave. My Lord stands with power to overcome. But I'm not going to be foolish to think that in my own strength, I can defeat anybody. I need Jesus. Jesus had told him that the devil wanted to sift him has wheat. It's clear that Peter put too much trust in his own humanity, in his own willpower, in his own, I will never leave you. He misjudged the evil one. And we often do as well. We all know Satan's a liar. 
Satan is evil and everything associated with him is bad. And he wants you and I to fail at every juncture, every step of our Christian walks. He wants you and I to feel worthless and to feel a sense of shame in every moment we try and serve the Lord. But following Jesus in our own strength will help that come about. But when we follow Jesus in the strength he provides, when we walk with him in his power, we can rise and hold our head up high because we know we stand firmly in Jesus. I need his power to overcome evil. I need his strength to endure the evils around me. I need his joy to bring me through those valley times when I don't know what's going on. And how many know we've been through a lot of I don't know what's going on times. I need Jesus to defeat the enemy. My just saying I'll never leave you won't scare anybody. I need Jesus who's already defeated my foe to come into my life and walk with me in order to make that happen. I will never, I will never be able to live for him and serve him faithfully without him. I need him. Clearly, there was more of Peter and not, as, not enough of Jesus in him when this test arose. Trusting in your own strength, trusting in your own power, trusting in your own abilities leads to failure. We need to embrace what the Apostle Paul tells us when he spoke to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 7. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. In me there dwells no good thing. So many in our world just haven't learned that yet. And it's even more sad when so many in the church haven't learned this. Our world is constantly preaching and telling us to have confidence and put faith in human nature. That makes absolutely no sense to me because I've studied world history. So I have an understanding of what human nature is capable of. But even bringing it closer to home and making it more personal and more individual, our world is constantly telling people to put their trust in the human heart. Just follow your heart and everything will be okay. I can't imagine putting into words a worse piece of advice than follow your heart. When the Bible is clear, the heart is evil. If it feels right to you, it is right for you. Nonsense. Complete nonsense. My faith is not in me. My faith is not in how I feel. My, my, my faith is not in how I perceive the world. My faith is in Jesus and in his word and will always remain subject to him and not how I feel. I'm not interested in working hard to please God because when he sees me, he sees me through Jesus. I'm interested in doing all I can to remain connected to him. Then when I'm connected to him, his power, his spirit, his will, his words will flow through me. And then I can tap into that power for every good work. 
I'm not interested in the good things I can do or the good things I can do for others. It's I'm interested in the good that God can do through me. I'm not interested in what my flesh can accomplish. I'm interested in what God can work and build and accomplish through me. When we fail, and notice I didn't say if, it's when we fail. It gives us a clear picture of where my flesh needs to be brought into submission. Peter denied that he knew the Lord. Now, many of us may or may not have ever done that directly. However, I think from what I've seen over the past year, because of all the division and all the criticism and all the different ways in which people are going in different directions, we've done, what we've done is deny who we are because of what other Christians have done. Or what other Christians have said. Well, I'm not going to call myself a Christian because that's become a bad word in our society because of what some Christians have done or what some Christians have said. Let me make this clear. There isn't anything any human being can ever do that will stop me from identifying that I am a Christian. I belong to Jesus and I will call myself a Christian because I'm his. Just because your family does something that you don't like, hopefully we've learned by now they don't stop being your family. They're still your family. Anyone ever have a family member say something really, really dumb? Don't look around. (laughs) Did you disowning them in your mind stop them from being your family? They're still your family. Like I said, don't look around because they're probably looking around at you. So after the shame that was there was failure, there was the sorrow that followed. We can see that Peter's heart had a connection to the Lord because when the failure happened and he realized the moment and he perceived all of it, He didn't just pass it off. Peter was not proud of this moment. He did not just uh, dismiss it as some minor thing. Oh, well, I'll try again tomorrow. He wept. And in the other gospel accounts, he wept deeply. The moment he heard the rooster crow for the second time, he made direct eye contact with the Lord. And his sorrow began. And what's interesting to me about this story is Jesus makes eye contact with Peter, but doesn't say anything to him. Didn't call to Peter. Didn't try to expose Peter. Just gave him a look. I've had people in my life who could freeze me with a look. I don't know that I've ever been someone who could do that, but I've always admired people who could just look at you and you just freeze. And that look sent Peter into the night, but to express sorrow. It was one look from Jesus that brought Peter to a place where all of us need to come when we fall, and that's a place of repentance. Without repentance, there can be no forgiveness. And without that forgiveness, we can't rise from the mistakes we make and be able to move forward in what God wants us to do. 
One look. And that's all it took. Which brings us to the comfort. After there's shame and sorrow, there's the comfort that we can know even in failure. This was not, as I said before, the end of Peter's story. His failure was not the last thing we hear about Peter. Now, all of us know people who all they know about you or all they remember about you is a mistake even from long ago. All of us know people who look into your life and even though it may have been 10 and 20 years ago, they stopped recording anything about you in your life after a particular mistake. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? Aren't you glad Jesus looks at you differently? And as God's people, anyone who claims Jesus as Lord and Savior, who's trying their best to move like he moved, we need to be people who do the same. His failure was not the last thing we, he we hear about Peter. His failure was not final. There's a book I have at home from uh, John Maxwell. It's a wonderful book. It's called Failing Forward. Because for most people, when they fail, they fail and stop. Or they fail and they back up in life and they go backwards. But with Jesus, he gives us the power. We should avoid failure where we can. But when we do, we're given power to fail forward, to learn from the mistakes, to be able to grow from it, and to be able to be in a position if we want to remain open and honest to help other people. Because how many know the same dumb mistakes you and I do are going to be made by other people? And they're going to need help. They're going to need comfort. They're going to be able, they're going to need to know that there's a tomorrow after today's mess. Amen. His failure was not final. He may have, or many might have disowned him, but Jesus didn't disown him. Jesus will never disown you. Hallelujah. Jesus will never walk away from you. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't disown his people? When we fall, we know that God stands ready to forgive as we follow the path of repentance. We all know the story of the prodigal son. He was an arrogant brat, wasn't he? Comes to his dad and said, you know, this hanging around with dad just ain't for me. I want my inheritance, which in Jewish culture was akin to saying, I want my money because you're going to be dead to me now. And I'm going to take it and run off and I'm going to make my own life. And he does and he wastes it on so-called friends. And then when the money was gone, the friends were gone. And he has a moment of clarity while sitting in a pig pen. Let me go back to my father. And I'll be one of his hired servants. And what's amazing to me about that story is two things. Is one, as the conversation is happening between the son and the father, the, the, uh, the son is saying many things to the father. I'm not worthy to be your son. 
Make me like one of your hired servants. I've sinned against heaven and against you. He's saying a lot of things to his father. His father isn't talking to him. He's so glad the son is home, he's talking to the servants. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Prepare a meal. We're going to party right now. That's my revised translation. And the other thing that amazes me about that story is that it says that he walked a long way after having been living in a pig pen. I don't think he was able to find a bread and breakfast on the way and able to shower before he came to dad. He'd been living in a pig pen, walked a long distance. I'm sure he could announce his arrival before he arrived, if you all get where I'm going with this. And it says the minute the father saw him, he ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. This muddy, stinky, dirty kid. That is the father's love, even in the midst of our mistakes. And we can move forward beyond any mistake, beyond any failure that way. Now, failing Jesus does impact fellowship but aren't you glad so does repenting it impacts fellowship as well it increases it it brings us closer and back to him this wasn't the end of peter's story peter got to see the risen lord peter was the guest preacher on the day of pentecost peter was the messenger that god sent to cornelius This is not the end of Peter's story. And no matter what mistake you've come in life, there may be consequences, but it doesn't ever have to be the end of your story. With Jesus, there is always tomorrow, and it can always be a a better tomorrow. I've made some amazing, not just colossal, utterly amazing mistakes in my life. Share with us, Pastor, maybe some other time. And I can tell you, at the end of every mistake, there was Jesus. There was Jesus. And he can be there if we'll embrace him. So how do we deal with failure? Because how we deal with it's important. We should never first dismiss it as if it didn't matter. It should always be faced directly. Yes, we own it. I messed up. We don't blame it on other people. Well, if they hadn't done this or they hadn't said that, or the comment, you make me so angry. No, you have a button. Someone pressed it, but it's still your button. It should always be addressed directly and owned. And it should always be addressed with true repentance. Father, forgive me. Change me. Grow in my heart. And then what we need to do is once we've repented is realize that our finite minds may remember it, but God's not going to remember it at all. We should embrace God's full forgiveness, which is available for any sin, any sin. There isn't anything that you and I have ever done that will fall outside of the realm of God's ability to forgive. 
Now, there may be human consequences to the mistakes that we make, but when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, your walk with Jesus, there is forgiveness that can wipe the slate clean, that can make you and I white as snow. Any sin, no matter where you are, Jesus is ready to welcome you home, to reestablish the connection, to embrace you and I lovingly, and to prove to you that not only there's a tomorrow, but it's bright. It's a bright tomorrow. It's a wonderful tomorrow. It's a tomorrow worth waking up for. What's amazing to me about that story with the prodigal son is he learned the hard way by facing the sin and the mistakes, but how the older brother didn't learn anything. He had the father there all the time. His major sin was the sin that many of us fall into. What about me? What about me? I've been faithful to you all these years. I've never left you. I didn't spend your livelihood on, on, on so-called friends and harlots. And yet you never threw me a party. You never invited my friends over. I can almost hear the whining. What about me? And the father says to him what we all need to hear. But I've been with you always. What more do you need? I've been with you always. And when your brother came home, it's good. And it's interesting to me because the father in the story reminds the older brother that this younger brother is your brother. Because when he first talks to his dad, he says, when this son of yours comes home, as he was trying to disown him. But the mistake doesn't make him any less his brother than he was before. So I don't know where you are today. But Peter had a moment at the cross, and his moment was failure. But the moment led to repentance. And it led to a ministry. It led to him preaching on the day of Pentecost. It, met, it, it led to him leading the 120 into the upper room. And it led to a life of service. Wherever you are, whatever the mistake has been, Jesus stands ready. He'll never turn away from you. He'll look lovingly into your eyes and say, come home. We'll figure this out together. Stand with me, please.